And another week diving into the XFL such that it has been impressive, depending on who you ask. But here to help me banter about it, my fellow press box mate over at Camping World Stadium with the Orlando Guardians when they're in town, the incomparable Brian Paul, one of the BPs. Um, no, he doesn't as much as you can try. <laughs> You're going vintage. Um, <laughs> yes, I am. I mean, listen, you won the Super Bowl. I guess they all hate you with your Chiefs and all that. But I only mention your Chiefs in passing that you will be the final pick of the mock draft real series that's coming up. Um, and by the way, the other BP will be representing the one runners up uh, as the Eagles for one of their picks there, too. So the BP, the BP squared will be in effect for 31 and 32. You'll see that at the beginning of next month. And I'm not fooling. Anyways, I have two kids. Dad jokes are what I do. Anyways, let's get into it with Brian Paul, BP of A7BN Sports. What's going on, buddy? Oh, it's a beautiful day to be covering football in March. Who'd have thunk that we'd be doing such a thing? Uh, we thought we'd have to wait till April this year to talk about USFL. But no, we get a first dose of spring football in the XFL 3.0. And uh, I must say that television shenanigans notwithstanding, because I have my opinion on the television broadcast, the football that I've seen across the league has been very good. I have not been disappointed with what I've seen um, in each of the games right now. So for a small league making its startup and, you know, with the, the naysayers saying nay all the time, they're withstanding a lot of the criticism and, uh, and so far so good. And the question that we have now is shall this last? And uh, the, its predecessors had not, either lasted a whole season or completed a whole season. So it's now incumbent upon this iteration to do just that. And so far, we're about halfway through. We'll see. I, and listen, you're talking about covering football in March. The good news is, unlike the, a, uh, the AAF, the Alliance of American Football and the Orlando Apollos, it looks like this will actually clear April. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah. No, I'm sad. So, um, yeah, with that in mind, um, by the way, Apollos left tackle Aaron Evans in the painting behind me that is an aaron evans original i shouldn't say he's in the painting i'm in the painting he's the painter there we go anyways all that aside i always like to shout the the frog king when i can anyways um hey if you don't understand frogking.com boom art drops that's what we do on the show no listen yeah you mentioned you mentioned the quality of football and i mentioned the aaf so heavily because when the usfl came out at first, and even kind of elements of, of, of the XFL 2.0. I don't really count it because it didn't really have a chance to get off the ground with the pandemic and all of it. But the USFL wasn't impressing people generally play-wise like the Alliance of American Football was. And I've heard comparisons to the Alliance of American Football with that in mind. And, and, and that translates, right? Garrett Gilbert, the Apollo's starting quarterback, had some took some snaps with both the Browns and the Cowboys, if memory serves. Dearness Johnson, as far as I know, was still on the Cleveland roster himself, you know, somewhere out there in the NFL. So that kind of speaks to that. And there's a lot of NFL guys trying to make their, their pushback. You hear Vic Beasley out there, for example, on defense, who I believe the Guardians will face here very shortly in Vegas, unless I have that mixed up. But with that in mind, with all the football we've seen, I mean, twice you and I, BP, have had to have had the opportunity to observe the Houston Roughnecks, who is, is apparently seems to be the creme de la creme of the league so far. I, I mean, 
that's a good football team, you know. There are a good football team, but what strikes me about this is that their quarterback is not at the top of the pack. <laughs> that's what that's what confuses me about the Houston Roughnecks, you know, and, and what I don't understand is why Brandon Silvers is behind Ben DiNucci, statistically speaking. Now, if you break it down, you know, Brandon Silvers is tossed for 962 yards. That is up there with, with the top ones in the league. He's completed 65.2 of his passes percentage-wise, and he's thrown 10 touchdowns. But that's not tops in the league. That's a distant second place. Now, keep, bear in mind, all the odds makers are talking about Houston being the com- the complete team, the best team in the league right now. Balance. And they're, they're saying that they're going to win it all. But let's not sleep on the Seattle Sea Dragons. Let's not sleep on Ben DiNucci because we've said this to each other. Now we're saying it to the whole wide world web here. Ben DiNucci is the best quarterback in the XFL, and he very likely could have been on a winless team this year. Yeah, at least 0-3. One possession away for all intents and purposes, right? Yeah. I think that's crazy. I'll see. And I'm glad you brought that up, too, because I know you're going to make that point. And that's amazing, unequivocally. And and I think at one point, DiNucci may have even had the most uh, turnovers, allegedly, at one point. But the thing is, there's an element of gunslinging in this league. It is what it is. But I'll see that and raise you. Um, El- Morgan Ellison, I can make an argument, is the best single running back in the league in terms of just ability to to purely how should i put this uh like like what happened to debo at the end of friday you got knocked out man have you seen this cat run people over and he's paired with that said best quarterback in the league yeah i mean and right now he's leading the league in rushing at 239 yards so it, it all makes sense you know it, it i love how the odds makers have been calling out houston as the team to beat and even the teams that they've faced right now, including the guardians who've now faced them twice, they're all calling it out, but you know, numbers don't lie. Production doesn't lie. We had that, we had that conversation with head coach Terrell Buckley today about production, get out there and produce. Well, the sea dragons aren't undefeated, but they're going out there and producing. Now it's not that Houston isn't, it's just that the sea dragons are doing so at a faster clip which leads me to believe that this is a team on the rise despite sort of a rocky start. So, you know, as we've had four games into the season, bear in mind for those who have not been paying attention to the XFL who are otherwise unaware, there were no OTAs. There were no preseason games. These kids basically, and I say kids because they seem like kids sometimes, you know, not of them, not all of them have NFL experience, but these guys have come out the gate and are essentially playing a hybrid college game with some professional tincture to it. You have some rules that are NFL uh, known and some that are college oriented. So they're playing right in the middle, which and we can dive into this a little bit later, but I honestly think what makes this game so special and, and why that I think it should last is that hybrid nature of it. And it's allowing those guys that have either taken a slight step back in their production or looking to make a step up an opportunity to do so without making the giant leap in talent gap that is the NFL. So in terms of filling voids, yes. And to see a guy like Morgan Ellison, to see a guy like Ben DiNucci, who's not a household name, 
Who was that guy at the beginning of the season? Anybody? Raise your hand if you knew who Ben DiNucci was before the start of the XFL season. Not it. Isn't, isn't that a star of the movie Casino? I... I, yeah, maybe or something like that. Maybe he was, you know, in a, in a mafia movie. I don't know. That's but... a Creighton, by the way, uh, of 97.5 in Houston. When he was aboard here, made that joke. I had to steal it. I'm sure you did. Yes. <laughs> that's a pick six for Kyle there. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, D yeah, DiNucci was not a household name, you know, and that's what makes this so great is that he's going to be a star in this league and may likely get more looks. Whereas you've got a guy like Brandon Silvers, who maybe had a little bit more recognition, A.J. McCarron, who is easily recognizable by you know people um, off Alabama. So, you know, it, that, that's what's making this so exciting for me is, you know, the, the names that are now becoming known and the production that they've taken with, with very little to work with. These guys did not have the ramp up that that even college players get right now. We're in the middle of college spring season right now. They're at practice and and spring games are going to start churning out over the next you know, six to eight weeks. The XFL didn't have any of that. And then you got a guy like Ben DiNucci who more or less came off the street. He's thrown for almost 1,200 yards. You know, A.J. McCarron, he's still not doing all that bad. 850 yards on 131 attempts. So, you know, this this has so far been pretty magical in terms of, of what we've seen so far league-wide. You know, but what what I love about what you're talking about, BP, is is not only uh, the best quarterback not on, uh, or was uh, sorry, almost potentially on an all defeated team at zero and three. Now they're two and two after uh, the victory this past weekend that the Sea Dragons um, accrued past the Brahmas of San Antonio. I'm glad that we were able to segue nicely into the Brahmas of San Antonio because what we're not talking a lot about is some of the defensive moments we've seen it's not only Vic Beasley getting a bunch of sacks buddy what what and I think the moment that that sent odds makers over the edge if they're paying attention like Vegas guys tend to do because it's literally their livelihood that four down stand that the Texas uh, I was about to say the Texans that the Houston Roughnecks it's the helmets that the Houston Roughnecks have against the Brahmas I, I think it was like three minutes left in the game this was definitely deciding moment and you would think that Brandon Silvers would have to rescue the defense not so one yard line four downs zero points by way of that roughnecks defense and that is just a picture of what they could do to people over and above whatever issues you saw uh, uh this past weekend which I'm sure we'll get into at some point with the Guardians but they are a strong group, and I think it's the balance everywhere that we talk about. Listen, even when I'm predicting NFL, when I predicted the Colts with Peyton Manning winning the year that they won, it was because they were the most balanced football team in particular. I don't know why I picked that particular example. That's the one that came in my head. But, yeah, uh, there you go. But that all being said, we would be remiss just because you're not lighting up in the passing numbers as a quarterback, Jordan Tiamu and Derek King is the two-headed monster that that is in D.C. is tearing up yards in a way that, listen, if I'm groundskeeping for the way they tear up turf, I'm pissed off. I'm working hard every way to fix it because they're running their butts off, man. They're tearing up that turf. Absolutely. Well, and they're a team, and when you look at them, this is genius, by the way. Hmm. They're a team that figured out, okay, look, we've got – a pair of quarterbacks, each one has their unique abilities, their particular talents. And so instead of trying to put them into a quarterback battle with one another and scheming around one or the other, 
they've managed to find a happy medium and have created a, a dual quarterback system. And a lot of people have funny opinions about dual quarterback systems. They think it puts the receiving core out of rhythm because you have to go with uh, a particular cadence for one quarterback or, you know, his signal, his signal call may be a little different. There's something different about a, a quarterback at an individual level that, would throw them off. And especially if you're looking for an example, it's literally like trying to run a two quarterback system with Patrick Mahomes and the now retired Chad Henney. They're two different beasts and they provide two different things. And your offensive line is going to have to adjust a certain way because Henney's not a scrambler. Mahomes will roll out of the pocket. So, but in, instead of having that uniqueness and that division amongst your offense, they found a happy medium and found a way to put Tomu in as a, de facto starter, if you will. Mm. And King will come in as a, a quarterback power run, or he'll run the draw, or he'll end up throwing a pass, which Derek can throw, don't get me wrong, but right. he'll he'll turn it into a scramble to get out of pressure. You know, so they they looked at it from a standpoint of situational football as opposed to, well, this is our guy and and this guy's this, you know, and and, and I think it's genius. And if you see and hear the in-game interviews that they have with one another, both of those quarterbacks are of one mind. They're they're absolutely unified in purpose, and they're both leading the team each in their own way. And I think that's what's going to set DC apart. If you want to talk about teams that could win it all, you know, DC's up there because you know Houston has a an overall, I think, a better team than DC slightly. But in terms of complete team and dedication to the brotherhood, if you will, you got guys that are going to go down fighting for you. DC is the team that's going to do it. And I think of the two of them, although Houston statistically may have an edge, DC could probably beat them outright. They could outheart them because of the way they've rallied behind their team and, and their quarterbacks as, as co-leaders instead of having one individual rise above another. I think it's great. And they're an, another good team to watch. Also, caveat. The beer snake hasn't gone anywhere. That's a thing, people. That's a thing. <laughs> That's right. The beer snake wasn't able. <laughs> I wanted to make. No, actually, I'll say it. The Vipers weren't able to strike harder than the beer snake this past week. That's what I said in my article on the threepointconversion.com. That'll be up tomorrow morning at 10. Bing! Anyways, um, hey, it's not my fault it'll be up that late. It's it's the editors. Deal with it. But punchline's this. Um, just my guy, Raphael. Uh, uh, Haynes and uh, Alex over at the three-point conversion. But by the way, uh, as far as coaches go, this is opportunities for them, right? I mean, sure, we've heard of, of um, you know, Bob Stoops and Wade Phillips, but I didn't necessarily know Reggie Barlow as a coach. And here we are complimenting the bejesus out of him with what he's doing here with this group. Listen, I am not up on my Alabama State University coaches. That's my bad. But um or I shouldn't say coaches, but rather he was recruited there as a player was Reggie Barlow. That's my bad. But the punchline's this. Not only you mentioned they're all of one mind, that backfield, um, at least three players from the American, right, in the form of the two quarterbacks in question. Yeah, I know you all know Derek King from um, Miami, but before that he was at Houston, right? And then – uh. Raquel Armstead, another Temple product. So you got two guys from the same college as well, right? Because Tiamu, I believe, is a Temple product as well, if I'm really digging back there. So yeah. with all that in mind, there are all these guys that came from this uh, similar origin. And De'Arik King uh, went from under uh, Dana Holgerson, but then 
go on to uh, end up in Miami before Cristobal got there. So that should put some context on, on, on what you're dealing with there. So I say all the above to say it's situational football versus balance everywhere. If those two teams hold, you know, as the two leaders, as they are undefeated at current, you know, that's um that to me is certainly going to be a fun matchup if and when we get it later. But here's the thing that makes this unique to me with this this product. And we cover one of the all-defeated teams in the Orlando Guardians, of course, the other side of the country there with the Vegas Vipers, um, who at 10 o'clock this weekend on Saturday will be battling each other. So somebody's going to get a win. But um, I find it interesting that when you watch either of those two games, though, there's plenty to keep the crowd engaged. Listen, I don't know about you, uh, BP, but when Woodson's jawing it up and getting after the refs, that is an entertaining and compelling television, man. Not for nothing. Well, no, they and what's really funny about that is that Woodson was wrong. And that's what makes <laughs> it even funnier because right? and and all coaches listen, all coaches think they know the call on the field, you know, and 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 as if Woodson was standing on the goal line waiting for the ball to break the plane, which it never did. So, you know, it's yeah, he was wrong and and Blandino. Good old Dean Blandino. Listen, he's been an asset to have on these broadcasts because he's oh. been he's been the greatest explainer of officiating. You know, I, I I know the rules are a lot different, and you know he's had to you know kind of explain it in a way that you know say what you will about Mike Pereira. I know you're not a fan, not but, at all. But you know, Blandino's been doing a fantastic job, and he did remark as they were going into the tunnel, he's like, "That's okay. I'm going to have a conversation with Rod after the game." You know, because, he, yeah, he was wrong. And it it wasn't the fact that his elbow had crossed the plane. The ball hadn't gotten there. His butt hit first. Correct. So he's down by contact. And, yes, it makes sense in the rule book when you're at five seconds and a half, had they called the play correctly, he wouldn't have had that opportunity to spot the ball, line up, and, and even clock it. They would have run out of time. Plus, if they observe as many college rules as I think they do, you'd have to have a certain amount of time to spike the ball to stop it as the University of Miami fought and, you know, incorrectly did last season against Florida State. And I believe the referee said, therefore, the ball game is over. So, you know, there was probably a rule in there somewhere that they might not have been able to spike it, even if they had gotten the ball spotted with three seconds to go anyway. So, and Dean said that that was the correct call and that was within the spirit of the rules. I double-checked, yes, that is correct. So it, it's it's funny. But, yeah, if the entertainment value has been – with the coaches and some of their commentary that they've had on the sidelines, Bob Stoops after an intercession, man, that's bad football, <laughs> you know, just as folksy as you can possibly get from that to the, the hot headed um, moments that Heinz Ward has had this season, get your ass out there and quote, um, you know, things like that. So I think what this version of the XFL has done this year with the live microphones is, is a lot better than they did in the 2.0 version where they spent so much time talking to the players in between plays. And it almost took away from what else was going on in the field. So in lieu of that, they've done some of it, condensed those interviews a little bit, but offered that live microphone chatter from the coordinators to a couple of players to the head coaching staff. And it's actually been much better uh, than the previous version. My complaint is you shouldn't 
mic up a center because now it sounds like a bad ASMR video at that point. And it's First of all, I know you and your fat man oppression is unacceptable. I don't know what you're doing here. I'll touch on that in a second. But it's listen. not fat. It's not fat man oppression. It's it's my ear holes that I'm worried about because all I hear is nails on chalkboard combined with grunts. That I'm not sure if anybody wants to really hear that part well, of the football. And, game. and actually, where I will agree with you is I don't know about focusing on that the whole game. But having that in there some so people understand the impact and intensity of what's going on in the trenches is a good thing. The yes. whole game, hey, even at some point, I'm like, it's not so much that it's a, sorry, a, 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 an intense sound. It's just a redundant one. So yeah. I get that part, despite your fat man oppression. But, but uh, no, hey, listen, if you're going to talk about funny moments with coaches, how about Jim Haslett this past week when Ben DiNucci threw the ball back to the Brahmas and gave him a chance to win with two minutes left in the game? I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and, and by all rights, the, and, and even the commentators were like, what are you doing? Why would you, every, and every football fan watching the game, whether you had some skin in it or not, looked at that and go, why would you throw with the lead, run the ball, run the clock? All you got to do is get a first down. Then you're taking knees at it. Oh Lord have mercy. Why did you throw the ball? And then, to end up almost giving them a, a first down to extend the drive, you know, because the Brahmas moved it right back. You know, San Antonio is a scrappy team and they really played their butts off in the end. They were not out of that game at all. And, and as soon as that late turnover came in, it was go time and, and Cone started a drive. And unfortunately, it didn't end the way he wanted it. But, you know, again, you know, and, and this is possibly why Ben DiNucci is on a two and two team instead of a four and O team right now is for the, for the mistakes like that, even though, he is quite possibly the best quarterback that's on uh, the field at any given uh, Saturday or Sunday at this point. But right. And there is a know. gunslinger element to what he's doing. And typically, I'm not fond of gunslingers. There's loads of tape out there of me just trashing Brett Favre. But yeah. this is a little different with him. But it, let me let me hit your point, too, about Dean Blandino and what he's done. Because as much as I'm not a fan of Piera, he's far worse. I'm not exactly pro-Dean Blandino on CBS. He's said in responded to some things that were just outright in my mind idiotic and frankly the way that they keep shouting back to him what do you think dean i'm like i don't care however that same man that same man bp that same human being dean if i knew his middle name i'd say it blandino um is the one doing the xfl insight and reviews that i am glued to all you do is change one letter on the broadcast as far as the league. I know technically it's two letters because it's ESPN instead of CBS and all that, but or three, whatever. Punchline's this. The same guy's doing the presentation, and I'm eating it up, whereas I can't stand him at CBS. All that tells you up front is somebody's doing something way better than the other guy, period, point blank, end of story, no middle ground. No, I would agree with that. And this is something that, that people are starting to notice about the NFL. Now, I, I, I caveat what I'm about to say with the notion that this is not supposed to be a comparison. Let me say that louder for the kids in the back, okay? This is not supposed to be a comparable league to the NFL. This is supposed to be a complementary league. If you don't know the addition of complementary, look it up on Urban Dictionary. It's got nothing to do with Joe Mama. Nonetheless, but I, I wouldn't say, look up Joe Mama on Urban Dictionary. That's a completely different rabbit hole. Or, or Blue Waffle. Anyway, I, oh, I digress. Blue, that's just cruel, Brian. Yes, it is. But no, it, what 
what I get to is, is that most people are, are getting to the point where they're sort of tired of the establishment in the NFL. Tony Romo is one basketball comparison away from becoming the wave, the broadcasting dinosaur at this point. You know, love oh, him for doing it wrong. You picked Tony Romo, but OK. Well, you know, he, he is. he's really starting to make some slip ups here and they're really starting to get bad. It's kind of showing that the man doesn't prepare, which has also been under criticism, his preparation. So if Tony doesn't get it right, the fans are going to revolt and go, listen, we would rather listen to Fox. Like, bring back Joe Buck if that's what you're going to do. Yeah. And so, and, and I mean that because a lot of people aren't fans of Joe Buck either. You should hear some people that I roll with during baseball season. You got to listen to this guy again. But, you know, the thing is, is that people are kind of getting tired of the of the same old, same old. And the NFL needs to freshen things up a little bit. So something about this opportunity with the XFL is that it's it's some freshening. It's a little different. You know, Dean's got a control booth, a command center. He's got every game that he has to watch. And he's pretty much determining what's going on with officiating. He's constantly in officials here. Some of them are seasoned professionals from college ball. Um, you know, Reggie Smith, you hear his voice quite a bit uh, right. during the college season. So I kind of call him uh, his side gig, uh, his uh, being an Obama impersonator. So because <laughs> he, he sounds just like him, I swear it. And it looks like him kind of, too, if you really think about it. Now, folks, um, uh, that's uh, that's a first down. Yeah, ex exactly. So, yeah, so you, you could replace him with with former President Barack Obama. And then all of a sudden it's, it's hilarious. And yeah, we and, can uh, make it meta. We can have Jordan Peele do it one week and he could be impersonating a guy, impersonating a guy that's who's the impersonated. Guy. Yeah. Dude trying to be the Done. dude. Anyways, mic drop right there. So and, hey, it won't even be blackface at that point. Moving on. Yeah, right, right. You know, so it, it's it, it is it's it's fresh. It's exciting. Now, you know, are, are are a lot of people into all of the ins and outs of it like us? Hum heads are no. But from from my standpoint, as somebody who's been in the media for as long as I have, I, I respect what they're doing and trying to to make some things a little different and, and give you a little bit more insight. Now, do I want to hear everything that's going on behind the scenes in terms of play calling? No, not necessarily. Me personally, I'm like, okay, I could see maybe interjecting it every once in a while, you know, maybe adding a little dash of color, especially at a critical moment in a game. Like, well, you know, gosh, what are they going to call here? Well, let's go to the booth. And, you know, then you hear the guy go, okay, let's go Nevada, yo yo, Wanda seven left. And that means what? And then the guy spits it out. You know, so then that would be a crit critical at a critical juncture. But I don't want to hear that from the first snap of the game. You know, because I want to see the guy just get out there and, and duke it out. But in I terms hear. of what they do with the officiating, yeah, that's been great because you want to know how many people have sat just in the press box and go, nah, that wasn't holding. And then you hear Dean say it and like, oh, yeah, that, that kind of was holding. Yeah, that makes sense now. Yeah, yeah. No, no. And, and, and well, at least knowing that there are times when he's like, you, you've heard it in his voice. Let's take the Guardians' first touchdown of the season. He knows that the call was wrong. You can hear it in his voice, but he's like, I, I can't find any evidence, man. There's there's no definitive evidence. We I got to go with the call on the that, you can that, feel the pain in his voice. That is Trent. Now listen, and that's the thing that if I had to give Danny Garcia and Dwayne Johnson a high five, it's moments like that that the fans are looking for because right. one of the things that you'll hear the the prevailing conspiracy theory that goes on the internet the every screen. single year is that X League is is rigged. And, and and listen, I have been an athlete for most of my life, and I have been in the same sport for half of it. And although it's not a comparison football to competitive martial arts, 
I can tell you that as an athlete, and you can too, as having played a line, you can't rig this stuff in no. the way that you think you can. Now you can influence it, but you can't rig it. You can't absolutely predict the outcome like you can professional wrestling. It's just Tim not going to work. Is a thing. Absolutely. Right. So the way to eliminate some of that BS chatter is to do exactly what the XFL has done here and to understand that, yes, we have a human element in our officials and we have a technological element that we're using to supplement it. But the technology is only as good as the human that's interpreting it. Correct. And like Dean said, I really want to call this a touchdown, but I got to say no, because I literally can't see anything that indicates with the angles we have that this is a touchdown whatsoever. So I've got to overturn the call. And that right there, although Guardians fans had their hearts broken, it was refreshing. And I'm like, why can't we have this level of transparency with reviews in the NFL or even college ball? Why can't we have that? Why leave it to the analyst to do it? Let the analyst talk about it after the fact, after the, the officials have made their call. So is this an innovation that the XFL got right? Yes. Should other leagues consider adopting it? I'd say adopt it straight through NAIA football if they've got cameras. And Hell yes. For yes. goodness gracious, because we're in 2023. You know, it, it's in side tangent with that. This is something that Major League Baseball could consider because everybody's concerned about like a Angel, whatever his name is, the one umpire that everybody hates that gets the strike zone wrong consistently. And they, they pull out the percentages and he's always at the top. Well, if you have the technology supplementing that where somebody in a command center could go, hold on a second, we're reviewing that call. Nope, that was a strike or nope, that was a ball. And then explain why it's happening on the television broadcast. People would be like, oh, and that might bring some legitimacy back to MLB. Which, by the way, anybody at all in either scenario, be it football or baseball, who's complaining, well, it'll lengthen the games. No one cares about the games being longer. They just don't like the lulls, which if you're going to take lulls out of baseball, you need to do a lot more than that. <clears throat> but yeah, true story. What this will also take care of is you always, and especially covering personally, UCF at football games like I do with the black and gold banner at dot com. Um, and hearing every time there's a review come up, oh, well, the American Conference hates us because we're leaving, so they're just going to do whatever. Damn conference officials. Blah, 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 blah. But you know what? I can't blame them for doing it there, BP, because they won't show the review at the damn stadium. And they don't do a great job of showing it on the broadcast, if we're being perfectly honest. So if we have a command central, it does two things. A, it provides that transparency, which, listen, if there's currently a sports arena, not the Alliance of American football that would actually legitimately have an issue possibly with corruption. I'm more inclined to say it's the NCAA. Second, if you have that central entity, I don't know. Listen, obviously Dean Blandino's time is finite. I know he can't do college football like he does the XFL and the NFL as well. I don't know if he's married. I assume he is, but he won't be after that if he takes that gig as well. I'm pretty damn sure. So, so the punchline is this. If you come up with that central entity, conference officials and all the, let's say, questioning we've seen from college football fans would be suspiciously gone. Yeah. So I, well, I want them in there too, man. Yeah, no, no. But in, in terms of what the XFL has been trying to do in terms of sort of being a Petri dish and, and, and let's not, let's not diminish what the USFL is going to do. 
um, I'm sure we'll have things to say as their season starts. Um, right. Even though and, they claim me that they're air quotes real football. Right. So that 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 notwithstanding. <laughs> um the spring leagues are going to give everybody an opportunity to to look at that and and be that sort of lab. How can we tinker with these things? How could we how could we not destroy America's favorite pastime in the fall without making so many wholesale? Okay, let's do this in a spring league where there's a little bit less at stake. We right. can make make those changes, do try some innovations, and believe it or not, the temperature that we're getting, at least from the XFL side, since we've had the most exposure to it, is that the players are for it. They think that the conversion attempts are they're exciting, they're game changers. You're never out of a game in the XFL, that's for sure. You know, I mean, if you're down by more than nine points, you got bigger problems anyway. Let's be right. right. And that's that's true no matter what league you're playing in. But, you know, in, in the XFL, the edge goes to you on the offense if you're by nine or less, because now you have the opportunity to get back in a game. A, a nine point game is not a two possession game in this league. So that's right. very important to note. The other thing, too, is the the innovations with the fourth and 15, make it, take it. If you're behind or tied in the fourth quarter, we've already seen that come into play, how it's changed the game a little bit. Instead of the the vanilla onside kick, which has a very low success percentage, unless your kicker is amazing or somebody just has butterfingers on the on the hands team on the other side, could be know, both. The, right, the, the 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 onside kick is not not a guaranteed make. But what we've also seen is that the fourth and fifteen make it take it option also is not guaranteed, but it's a hell of a lot more exciting to watch than an onside kick, which you can almost predict is going to go. 90% one way or the other, whereas the fourth and 15, shoot, we could have a guy that slips in the middle of the field, breaks coverage, ends up 16 yards in front of the sticks, and, and you know, or, or that could be a fourth and 15 play. Get this. It's not happened yet, but this could be the fourth, fourth and 15 play that all they need to do is get a first down, and the guy breaks a tackle and scores. Yeah. And completely changes the perspective of a game at that point. That could be the, the play that I'm trying to get a possession back so I can go to overtime. Or that may be the one that says, holy crap, we just prevented overtime because we scored on a possession that we weren't really, you know, supposed to do anything more than get 15 yards and we got 85. So I think we're full foolhardy to just localize the kickoff adjustment, though, to just that BP, because the way they're doing kickoffs now with this whole 10 yards apart thing healthier right more safe for the players i should say healthier safer i should say for the players i don't think there's any the 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 velocity these guys get at that speed at their size is dangerous stuff man the the, the whole it's like getting into a car accident isn't just something to say because it looks and sounds the part there's actual science and the speeds these guys are traveling and colliding head-on with one another that that's all real right it takes that out and oh by the way encourages returns in a way that to me you can't really gauge or 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 scheme that too much it's one on one and and you got to beat your guy and it's no offense to special teamers as they exist in the NFL or anywhere else but it's more air quotes real football in that moment than anything i've seen in special teams like that so uh, to me Again, another wholesale change that should be adopted in my mind. Like this is up there with with you know getting rid of the wedge formation. Adopt this. It's safer. And unlike, you know, well, yeah, and just like the wedge, you have a better opportunity for better returns that way. You know? Well, yeah, and 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 not just that. 
what it does to the kicker, because let's hearken back to Sebastian Janikowski for a minute. I kick ball far. Well, yeah. It's okay. So <laughs> I watched, I watched the dude in college from about the 15th row at the Doak kick a ball from the then 35 yard line. I think they hadn't backed it up yet. And the dude kicked it so damn far. Everybody heard the doink off the goalpost that reverberated all the way to Monroe street. He smacked the, and you could hear him every time he kicked the ball, he smacked the ever living bejesus out of it. And the, the thing about Janikowski was that you were guaranteed to line a team up on the 20 yard line every time he went to kick a ball. So you already knew that they're going to have the length of the field to go. And that's what made him such an efficient weapon because it eliminated the return game. But in the NFL, that's not always going to be the case. And as we noticed, Janikowski, as he got older, started getting those kicks a little bit higher and a little bit shorter. And there was, you know, not as many touchbacks. There were still plenty. But, you know, after a while, it, it wasn't as much of a weapon as it was in college. College being the, the game that it is and, and youth and exuberance, adrenaline will do that. But as you get older, you know, got into his 30s, he wasn't. You know, he was a couple of touchbacks and a few hamstrings shy of retirement anyway. So it wasn't as exciting and as much of a weapon anymore. So I like the innovation with the XFL because it's forcing kickers to be accurate. One of the things that you'll notice with a kicker in a, let's say, traditional kickoff is he backs up probably about six, maybe seven yards, gets a good running start and then boots it. What they're telling kickers to do in the XFL is to two-step it. So he literally lines up just off the ball, maybe two good strides and then kicks much in the way that he would do for a field goal, essentially, right. you know, and or if you followed some of the, the nuances of the NFL over the years, that that uh, fourth down or the fourth quarter or end of half uh, free kick that you can score the field goal on or it becomes a returnable ball at that point. Whoa, what is falling over here? Sorry, I've, <laughs> I'm raining paper and I didn't know it. Um so that it's forcing the kickers to be a little bit more strategic and keeping the ball out of the end zone, because there's one of two things that can happen. If the ball travels in flight into the end zone, that's a, what they call a, a major touchback, I believe. So in the major touchback moves the ball up to the 35 yard line, or if it hits on the bounce and rolls into the end zone, they call it the minor touchback, which that actually forces it to the 15 yard line of the receiving team. So that, 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 that's basically a penalty on the receiver for not having made an attempt to catch a ball that was in the target zone right. that rolls into the uh, end zone. The target zone being the 20-yard line to the goal line of the receiving team. So it's imperative on the kicker to kick it within that target zone, and the receiver has to make an attempt to catch the ball and, and to force the return. So it, it's either I'm going to get the ball in the 15 or it's going to go to the 35, or what's even worse, as we found out in Vegas, even though it – wasn't necessarily the kicker's fault if the kicker trips boots the ball and it doesn't hit that target zone then the receiving team gets it on the plus 45 yard line so they already start in opponent's territory and and that that's a supreme foul i guess you could say it's not a major it's like holy crap what were you you doing you epic fail so (laughs) it's really forced the kicking game to be more relevant I and think if you have better field position, it's more offensive fireworks, which the fans allegedly like. And and listen, speaking of fireworks, 
I know we've talked a lot about the TV numbers in general and, and how, you know, they they were looking good. Listen, the opening weekend, each of the four games were at or around a million. Um, and then you're getting games on FX, which how much of that we'll get in the future is a whole other question. But we're talking about half a mil, 550 thou on a weekday in some cases, but because there have been Thursday games, I think upcoming sooner than later, we're going to have Friday games as well. You know, so that'll all be interesting. And I know some of the scheduling is weird. I've had my personal issues with, you know, trying to keep track of it. But the punchline is they're trying to find the right time to to air these to best suit, you know, their their interests, let's say. So as yeah. with the whole first year things, especially those where I actually feel like they're fiscally backed for multiple years, unlike other leagues have promised AAF. Um, Which they I, did, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Steve Spurrier for putting a ring on his own finger, even though he didn't win the championship. You mentioned TV, you mentioned TV though. Um, one of the challenges I think that the XFL may or may not have considered, I'm not really sure how much foreknowledge they had of this or how much input ESPN had, but when you think about it, this is a rough time of year for spring football television wise, even though the, the prevailing theory is that, well, America's hungry for football. They want year round football. They want that opportunity. But let's consider what your options are at this point. Let's let's do a rundown, shall we? And if I had my flow chart here, I, I'd show it to you. But you're about to get into March Madness. The, the NCAA tournament's going to start. Selection Sunday has already come in place. I just filled out my bracket. So as basketball season starts to get to its climax, people are going to start turning towards the basketball games, and they're going to start pulling their viewership away from CBS. That's one or two CBS from ESPN. That's number one. Number two, this weekend was also very tough because we had the TPC that was going on in Jacksonville and the golf fans may also be football fans. And if they have a choice between watching a spring football game with a bunch of unknown players versus a golf tournament that they kind of recognize and, you know, may want to go have a, a beer or two at a watch party, they may turn around and watch the Masters or you know, the TPC. And the Masters is coming up, too, in April. So golf may start getting into the way as well as, well as basketball and, and turn those things around. So you've got that. Orlando's particular problem is we're in the middle of MLS season. And if you've got the Orlando City on television versus the Orlando Guardians and you kind of see where both teams are right now, I think a lot of people are going to be watching Orlando City opposed to the Guardians because, the, or honestly, the Lions have been around a lot longer than the Guardians. And I've heard anecdotally that Orlando's a little bit more of a soccer town than most people <laughs> think. So I honestly think that, you know, the, the XFL has had a couple of things come up in the television schedule that will divert people's attention and – while initially I think ESPN had that draw and that crispness to it that said, Hey, we're going to put this on our network. Um, the challenges of other popular sports at this time of year coming to their apex. And the fact that you had it on FX, which by the way, screwed the pooch this past week and did not play a good portion of the first. We'll get into that in a minute. But Yeah. But you're dealing with several factors right now that are diverting the TV viewers away um, that obviously would give you to an even wider audience had those games not had conflicts. So here's the thing, and I'm not saying that that's not an issue we need to look at and the numbers were ultimately determined this. But, bro, if I'm the XFL, I ain't caring, especially after what I know, not K-A-R-E-N, caring, sorry. I, 
I'll, I'll do my Deion Sanders instead. Instead, ain't nobody care. Ain't nobody care. But let me tell you where I'm coming from on that. Because you do make good points, and those are potential threats for the coming week. The numbers will pan on that. But here's what I'm looking at: that opening week, BP, right? NBA All Star Game. NBA All Star Game, not college. NASCAR, Daytona 500, their Super Bowl, and yet each game at or around a million. And and that now now that I, I'm I'm not diminishing what you're saying here, and I don't love I, the fact. I, I'm that, not done yet, but go ahead. No, I, I love the fact that this is about to be a hotly contested debate. This is this is unusual for us, but <laughs> those points notwithstanding, though, okay, the Daytona 500 also on top of that sold out. They expected almost 150,000 people in the stands. That's a separate yeah. argument. I'm not going there. And listen, right, I'll right, right. this aside. The Orlando comparison for TV viewership for Orlando people being a team that's doing I and has the potential to do something versus currently all defeated, that's a separate conversation. But we'll address Orlando as itself later because I think they have a comparison to be a, 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 a growing asset depending on how things go. I'm not talking about that, and I'm not talking about in-person stuff yet. I'll pull that card in a minute when we get to that conversation. But TV-wise, I'm not as worried about college basketball because the one that people want to watch mo most, and history backs me on this number-wise, right? The one that, they, that most people want to see, they don't generally care about the play-ins. They watch that first round. They watch that second round to look for their upsets. If things go chalk, the XFL is going to be fine. If a darling comes through, then you have a, a legitimate gripe. But generally, people people are going are looking to watch that seven versus twelve matchup. You know what I'm talking about? They want yeah. to see the upset. And then when things go chalk, you start to get more regionalized. And I'm not sure how many uh, fans will conflict. Like, will you know if not that they will this year because they're bad uh, comparatively. But like if Duke ends up in the final four, then maybe the defenders will have an issue. You know, I, I know that my example isn't to scale, but you see what I'm getting at. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I might be more worried about as odd as this sounds baseball or the NBA. than I am about college basketball, but that's a separate conversation. Yeah. And well, the, the, the baseball is not to it's, they haven't even had opening day yet. So baseball is a little early yeah, to that's, tell. That's it. not this weekend. You're right. Yeah, and, and, by, and by the time that happens, the XFL will be pushing towards the playoffs and, you know, we'll be to the end of the regular season at that point. And then there'll, there'll only be two games left to watch as it is anyway. Right. So, you know, I, I don't think baseball is going to be as much of a threat. You bring up the NBA All-Star game. Well, the response that I have is, why yeah. do we want to watch All-Star games anyway? So I don't the, think as many people. The dunk contest and the three-point shooting, I think, does have its allure. And for something, remember, for much as people crap on spring football, that may have been something at the time that could have drawn. If you were looking at it without knowing what we know now, you would have viewed it as a potential threat. Yeah. And, but, hey, to your point, the numbers panned. All-star, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that that's, goes without saying. I, I bring up the point about the in-person attendance of the Daytona 500 because right. that race was highly anticipated. So right. if you know you can't get a seat to the 500, then where else are you going to watch it? You got to watch it on TV at that point. So it was one of those things that America's Super Bowl of racing is always going to be highly viewed and always going to be the darling of that weekend, no matter what's going on. But so I don't know if the XFL did this on purpose. You mentioned high anticipation. 
look what we got. And we haven't talked about this team yet, but it's a perfect opportunity to do so. What we got from the St. Louis, they have football again, Battle Hawks. The Dome, the Americas, whatever they call it, whatever. It's now dubbed the Battle Dome when they're in that house. I love that, by the way. And the fact that they come in, open up the 400 section of the Dome, and fill that beast. Granted, they still haven't done the upper one. Let's not get stupid. But when when a league like this, this young, four weeks in, I don't know if somebody put that off that home over that uh, home opener that long on purpose to see if something like this would happen. But if they did, give them a raise. Find a way. I don't care. Pay them in. Well, this is a family show. But the punchline's this: um, we saw dividends with that. Beer snakes and all that hype. Be damned. But as a side note, too, when your all-defeated team is still in five digits, that's right, the Guardians still drew 10,000 undefeated, about to face the best team in the league, air quotes, a second time. Those are both numbers to be encouraged. When your outreach is relatively weak, by the way, because you're centralized in Arlington uh, between the weeks there. Home teams aren't staying at home. People have to remember that. This is a centralized league current for budgetary reasons. Teams that are playing travel together. Teams that have beaten or lost to one another have tra- are traveling together with a whole other bit of spice. We won't get into the Dormady situation until later. But considering all of the above, that that's happening with this little community outreach as is, they are leveraging te- uh, social digital stuff incredibly well for that to happen. That's the only thing I can interpret. BP, your take. Well, the thing is, you know, Kaka's law. And if you don't know what that means, you're not a Battlehawks fan, or at least not paying attention, you know. <laughs> and St. Louis showed out. I, I li- listen, let's not get it twisted. Battlehawk Nation, you turned it. And it has, it, I turned that game on and I said, we have arrived. I don't care what the other teams have done in terms of attendance right now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, there are two teams in the league right now that have been the modern marvel of modern major general of attendance. And that's DC with their rowdy ass fan base and the beer snake and St. <laughs> Louis with their Kakaas law. And, and I heard on the broadcast that in St. Louis, Missouri, and Isaac Bush, St. Louis, Missouri, they ran, almost ran out of beer. What? Yeah, they said that they were I, having... I know they're in, in they're in Belgium right now because InBev bought them, but damn. Yeah, they, they, had, they had a point where a question was raised on the broadcast about the quantity of beer remaining in the stadium. That was how... It was that's how many people packed out that place and immediately consumed malt beverages. So St. Louis, you showed out. I hope somebody from the XFL sees this and hears me cheering down here in Jacksonville. That is how it's done, ladies and gentlemen. For all you haters out there who are commenting on social media, trash league, get your act together, ladies and gentlemen, because there are people out there who are hungry for football and yes, I know we're hungry for a certain quality of football, but you got to understand that this is not going to be ever that level of football. It is not designed that way. It is not created that way. And it should never be that way. But what it should be is a celebration of a game that people want to watch, care about. And when you, you look at the story of A.J. McCarron and how his kids said to him, Daddy, we want to see you play football again. Imagine 38,000 people saying that to somebody who's, you know, I I haven't watched any of this Player 54 documentary series, and I think I'm going to start watching it. 
because one story that got we'll do me a pot on it if you want, bro. Shoot, I, I may I, maybe I'll do my my review on it with you and stuff. But one story I heard about, um, I don't know if he made the league. I don't know what team he's on. If he made it, but because I haven't looked him up. But the story of Sama Paama, who had two years of eligibility left in the NCAA, who sacrificed all of it to go play in the XFL. That's balls deep. Okay, this kid threw it out there, threw away his college scholarship and said, I want to go play pro ball, you know, because this guy understand that he understood that there was an opportunity for him to live out his passion, to get paid for it, to avoid all this NIL nonsense and get paid for it straight away. No worries about his eligibility. No worries about his education. His education was in football, and that's exactly what he wanted to do. Some people will champion that. Some people don't. But. With a name like Sama Paama, I think I'd let the man play football lest he deck me someday. Period. You know, so let let the guy go. But about um, I, I've got to get names. I just really start writing these things down and, and mentioning them. But to to give a blanket statement here, there are people that are active police officers who have left their job in yes. the police force yes. and had it had it held for them so they can go pursue their dream of playing football. They said, "Dude, we got this. You go play ball. This is your dream. Go do it." You know, there there are so many of these opportunities that are being created by this. And the picture that we saw in St. Louis, I think, is the end result of what what Danny Garcia and what Dwayne Johnson want to see on the other side of this. They know they they can't have that expectation every week. And Danny has said that much to the media. You know, we don't have expectations on attendance yet, but this is the picture that I would hold in time and say, America this is how we're this is how it's going to be. We're getting to this point. Hang with us. Let us get this season under our belts. Do some after action. Look at it again. And next season, we expect to see more um, out there because now we know what the product can do. Quick side note there about the police officer who was playing wearing that uniform. An exhibition game I played was against a, a law enforcement football team. This is a thing they do. They assemble guys. They do it for fun. And somebody had an opportunity, probably playing on a squad like that, and he got it. And 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 I, and I, you would know that in that environment, he would be supported. Um, by the way, the name of that team that I played in Orlando with, with that equivalent, also ironically named the Orlando Guardians. <laughs> so, yeah. with all that being said, here's the thing: even when it comes to the teams that are struggling, as the Vegas Vipers, as which. I mean, you know, I would make comments about USF, but that's a whole other question. But uh, but, but with the Vegas Vipers, with the Guardians currently, um, I still see plenty of plot twists taking place to where maybe they that things aren't going the way they should this year. But next year, if things get taken care of a certain way, they could become very compelling as comeback stories, right? And But let me tell you where I'm coming from. And I don't want to mire too much in this. We only know what we know so far. But take the Guardians as the example, right? Currently 0-4. Um, one game, by the way, they uh, according to the coaching staff, they get word from the office after the game that they had actually made the incorrect call on the field and that it was a catch. That one big ball, you know, that 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 could have made it an opportunity for 12-10 to instead of a 10-9 to loss against the Arlington Renegades and all that. There's that. There's also the concept of how much we've heard about Jordan Dormady in that situation where it was alleged at one point that he had given information to the opposing team. In this case, I believe it was the uh, Brahmas of San Antonio who came to town and got Heinz Ward his first win as a coach. Which, by the way, the former head of football operations of the AAF 
getting his first win as a coach in the XFL 3.0. Anyways, <laughs> delicious. So as Snake but all as all that's going, right? We're talking about all that. Then we talk about the situation with DeAndre Francois. Then his his battling injury. And now they're bringing in Quentin Flowers. No, there's my USF drop. Um, so with all that in mind, all this is going on. And, and you know, there's certain other things we're hearing around the locker room where things aren't going the right way with certain uh, philosophies and things like that. Without getting too deep into that, the punchline's this. You hear about all that and that chatter and then whatever something i don't know what it might be yet we're, we're not even out of this season but something happens and things stabilize maybe they just get a stable of quarterbacks that you know doesn't participate in subterfuge and staves healthy how about we just start there right and they <laughs> just do that and use that and bounce back and become i'm not here to say they'll be the roughnecks but hey at least vie for a semifinal postseason appearance that would be something, and fans would show up in Orlando for that. Well, they could apply because really quickly to to Vegas because they had their own off field administrative machinations with some sort of a front office person getting fired there too with personnel stuff. I believe that came down from administration, not from the coach. So, if either of those franchises get things right, there's an opportunity for a great comeback story to perpetuate season two, which is what they would need desperately survive well, where they are you're right and the thing about orlando and the the temperature that i'm getting right now which by the way i, I want to take a, a quick second to shout out the guardian staffers who have been super supportive this season both of the 100. media and and of the community um these guys are doing a great job by the way they're doing it right and i i appreciate the opportunity to go out there and cover the games and and be a part of the media circus i mean cohort and <laughs> hey, we are a circus. So we're, 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 we're hilarious. We, we really are. And it, it's, you know, but, you know, Andy Seeley, director of communications, media relations, who does a fabulous job yes. communicating with the media. Uh, Lainey Angel, who also does a great job. She's the statistics queen and she's doing all of this. She's fighting with printers to get things to work right. And, you know, it's a fantastic job that we all do. Their entire staff is great. Um, and, you By know, the way, do you realize on their staff, too, they also have the Hula Bowl SID as one of their people? Yes. So, you know, they, they also chose they also chose well, which is good. You know, they, they've got the right people, I think, in the right places. You know, so in, in terms of what we can see administratively, the, the team is doing a really good job um, and they have recognizable faces out there. If you know anything about Orlando sports and you've been to a Magic game or you, you to a Guardians game recently or you've been to an Orlando Predators game, by God, you know, Jamia's face by now. That <laughs> woman is everywhere in, in Orlando professional sports. Does she do city games, too? I imagine. So she, she's a, a recognizable icon in, in sports promotions, and she's a familiar face that they were wise to add to the fold. So a lot of the things that are going on in Orlando, you know, the team notwithstanding, is, is going well. But what I detect is I detect a rumbling going on. Orlando in general is hungry for something to be wildly successful. And you can kind of hear it in the crowd when when Paxton Lynch threw his first touchdown pass last week yeah there were 10,000 people there it sounded like 25,000 they yeah. were they were super loud and they jumped to their feet immediately when Lynch threw the when the 81 yard bomb the fans went ballistic you know so what i'm getting the sense of is just win baby just win 
You know, Al has made his appearance in Orlando just win because the fans are ready for it. They, they have, there's rumbling because they've seen what good football is like in city. Beautiful. They've been to this year. They had to, had to have watched this year's cure bowl, which was super entertaining to watch top top 25 teams outright. The cheese it bowl exquisite one of the best football games between FSU and Oklahoma that I've seen in my memory. Um, yes. Well, your nose beat a, uh, what would have been a six and seven team at the end of the game. Yes. Right. So, you know, when you look at it, you're still, listen, let me pull my sign back up here. See, let me, let me tell you, this is what I got to deal with people. Now, hey, hey, with all due respect, that's more about me throwing shade at Dylan Gabriel. I'm done. Yeah. Oh, oh, sure. By all means, toss, toss that as uh, toss that grenade as far as you want. But, but you know, they, they've seen, they've seen good football in Orlando. UCF has, has provided some memorable moments in, in the area. And, and I've been to a UCF game and when they call it the bounce house kids, they're not playing. Oh, they, there's they, a reason that yeah. players pick the pick the bounce house as as you know. Just ask now NFLer uh, Desmond Ritter about what the loudest thing was. He's he said the bounce house, which by the way is only forty something thousand. They haven't expanded it yet. Allegedly, plans are coming. You know, something something Big Twelve money. But you know, this isn't like other Florida stadiums, like you know, up there in the swamp where they're getting around eighty. You know. Yeah, no, it's this, this, there's something, there's something good going on with football in, in Orlando. And, and now that we have, you know, a, a, a recognized brand in the college game and we have a professional football team, I know it's not top tier NFL, you know, I I know that, but that's pro football outdoors and it's not Canadian football. So, you know, you've got something like that brewing. If the if the Guardians can start moving things in the right direction and start getting some positive results on the field, and then if what we hear in the future with 2024 comes around and the Arena Football League makes its triumphant return to semi-national prominence and the Orlando Predators are involved with that, my forecast is that, ladies and gentlemen, the new football hub in the state of Florida will run through I-4 because you will have some of the best in college football, not the, not the best, but some of the best in college football. You'll have a respectable professional team who does well. And, and, you know, maybe sends a couple of guys up to the league and then grabs a few more and still does well. And then you've got a, a, a promising and, and resurging indoor game. Ladies and gentlemen, the city of Orlando will become the football hub in the state of Florida. And that will force Tampa Bay, you know, the Buccaneers and and the Tampa Bay bandits of the USFL to up their game a little bit. The Jaguars are going to have to start relying a little bit less on uncle Shad's money and, and really start making it an experience. I mean, if we're going to be honest, I don't mean to do this to you here, Noler, but if somebody needs to get right and step their game up, as they started to do with Coach Norvell, by the way, the Noles need to, this is, they need to, they're even further challenged to get back to prominence. That comes to my my college football discussion. Don't don't you worry about that for a minute. The Noles and Gators and the Canes are on notice too about that. Especially the Canes, right? Yeah, they have legacy brands though, and they will always draw no matter what's going on. The television numbers don't lie. Yeah. Right. But 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 what I'm talking about happening in Orlando could be unique because it's not something that Orlando's known for. 
And if you put that as a, a central place in the state that's got good football at the amateur level, I say, NIL, thank you, the, the professional <laughs> level, the, the mid-major professional level, and the niche professional level, you know, that turns the city on its head. And, and now we talk a little bit less about Mickey Mouse and we talk more about, bro, there's some sports going on here because look, look at what you'd end up with. You'd end up with the, the college scene in UCF, which is a recognizable brand that's really on the uprise in, in other sports, not just football. Correct. You'd have the XFL, which could draw some success in the, in the outdoor football game at the professional level. The Orlando Predators, if they get off their duff and they truly move to the AFL, which I'm hoping they do, and they start making something of themselves with a properly funded league, that's another one. You've got good soccer in Orlando City. So you got MLS, the soccer's popular game in Orlando. The fans come out for that. The only and if the magic can ever turn it around and start playing like a respectable NBA team, hey, got good actually took the could took the court recently, man. Yeah, you've got good basketball again in Orlando, reminiscent of the days of Penny Hardaway, Shaquille O'Neal, and my you know, Dennis Scott 3D. You know, so then all of a sudden, you know, you're you're back to what you're getting to. And the only thing you're missing is baseball, but that's okay. We don't have to play that in Orlando. We can play don't that leave the else. solar bears out. Premier line minor league hockey there, bro. I, I, yeah, well. And having been to a Jacksonville Iceman game against the Solar Bears, I see what the hubbub is about. Right? I understand oh, it. it's amazing. So, we got to hit one. Yeah, look at all of the things. Yeah, we do, man, because those games are hilarious fun. Oh, yeah. One of the things, that, look at all of the things that are happening in Central Florida right now, and, and everybody's already like, well, this team is 0-4. And, and I'm like, but wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. It, it, it's a little new. You know, you, you got to get you got to get this into the into the into the system here. You got to get it in their veins. And, you know, and, and it, it'll happen. That's why I say that rumbling is happening. And as soon as the Guardians get their heads together and win some football games, that rumble starts becoming a roar. And eventually the roar becomes deafening. And you may turn out it, it might not happen this season, but you may look at this in a season or so, even plus a couple of weeks and Camping World Stadium may have to open up another section. You know, they may have to do what St. Louis did because the anticipation is, damn, there's going to be some football in Orlando. I ain't got to pay the ridiculous prices to go to Jacksonville or Tampa Bay to watch a football game. I can do it in February at a much cheaper price point, and the quality is still good. You know, the last time I heard that kind of buzz about a spring league football team, air quotes, like, like the Hawks have right now, would have been 1.0 with the Orlando Rage. So that's all I have to say. And granted, the the, the uh, bowl as it such uh, such that it was back when it was still the Citrus Bowl at that point was not renovated to what it is now. I'll leave it at that. But yeah, man, no, there's a lot going on there. But I, I'll say this to the XFL's credit. Once again, I think that's why they went national focused because they didn't want a situation. For, here's here's you old heads out there. I'm shouting to you. If the Memphis Matrix is to occur in a league, you need to be able to buffer that, okay? Mm. And, you know, you kind of got Orlando looking like that could happen if they didn't find a way. So I say that to say getting the TV out of the way and getting that right first kind of takes the uh, takes away if a franchise does struggle on the field early as Vegas, as Orlando's done. But I see the opportunity for that to be a great turnaround and people follow that. Yeah, well, and and look and look at the story that you could tell about Terrell Buckley as yeah. head coach. 
He has no head coaching experience, save the four games that he's been in. He's been an assistant for the bulk of his career. He he comes from the pedigree of players from Bobby Bowden, Mickey Andrews. So, you know, he, he's not devoid of, of teachers or, or mentors or inspiration to draw from. You know, he spent some time on the FSU staff, too, and he's bounced around a couple of teams in, in, in Power 5 conferences. So he's got big-time assistant coaching experience, but this is the one thing that has eluded him so far is, is the head coaching thing. Mm-hmm. And not to, not to discredit the man whatsoever, but you can see that ugly inexperienced thing rearing his head in the way he sort of reacted to, to negative situations, the way he sort of reacted in the media and kind of giving the, the, the coaches answers to things. He's, he's a man looking for an answer right now, but, Lord help everybody when he finds it yeah. because you know, he's going to be stepping on the, on the gas pedal, slamming it through the floor and it's all gas, no brakes, you know? So I, I, and, and I hope he does because a lot of people kind of heard when Buckley got the head coaching job and then you hear Bob Stoops and Wade Phillips. And you know, even though Heinz Ward doesn't have a long and tenured coaching history, you know, yeah, you know, look at all the names that they they have recognizable than some of the the no names. A lot of people put Orlando out because they had a, a coaching staff with very little experience at at a higher level and a bunch of players that pretty much were almost bottom of the barrel. You know, they saw, they were you saw the beginning of major league, right? <laughs> yeah. So we're we're kind of looking at the bad news bears here, really. It's just the the the, the not so great news guardians. But what <laughs> what the turnaround could look like if they once they get this figured out, it, you know, it could be absolutely magical and it really could blow people's minds. Now, I'm of the opinion and I know we disagree on this. I'm of the opinion that it starts at the quarterback position. Oh, you know? no, I don't disagree with that. I'm just not sure what a coach can do about a guy that got in in January. The other guy's hurt, and I know you're all about him, Nolan. That's not the issue. And then your third guy is somehow involved in an espionage scandal. I don't care who's coaching that ish. That's a problem. <laughs> well, yeah, it, no, you're right. It's it's an absolute problem. But where I think that Buckley went wrong is he didn't do any benchmarking and and look look around. You know, you're you're all at the same hub. You're all supposed to not have a competitive advantage over one another. You have access to the same medical facilities. Everybody has the, the, the tablets with all of the live plays and stuff like that. Everybody's got headphones and communications are all the same. Nobody has a competitive advantage like you would in the NFL. You know, it doesn't exist and it by design. So that doesn't mean, for God's sake, you could look over what's going on at D.C. and say, hmm, here's a thought. I've got one quarterback that can do this, and I got one quarterback that can do that. Hey, Rob, could you do me a favor and build something up for these two quarterbacks? Because I've got a guy who can throw and a guy that can run and throw some if he's got that opportunity. But the one dude who can run is a pincushion. He likes to get hurt a lot. So then I got this third quarterback. He talked about rotating quarterbacks all season long. And instead of rotating quarterbacks like that, he would – bench his third stringer, whoever that might be for the week, or, or have ro- rotating backup quarterbacks. He went with Paxton Lynch from the beginning because Paxton Lynch was his guy. But the difference is, is that Francois had been with the team a lot longer than Lynch. Lynch showed up two weeks before the season started, January, and then he right. gets the nod to be QB1. I'm looking at that situation going, hmm, 
well, kid, if you can get up to speed, I can get you going. But here's the deal. You're going to have to split some snaps with this guy who's been here a little bit longer. And oh, by the way, there's this other dude who is now not even active on the team. You know, Quentin Normandy, I could have seen that been developed into a little bit more of a revolving door in the beginning or schemed as such. And that wasn't the case. He seemed to be leaning on Lynch so much that when the ish hit the fan, he didn't really have much to go back on. And he was making decisions far too late, which is the sign of a, of a coach who's scrambling for answers and, and hasn't been able to improvise yet. Is that lack of experience? I would think so. It's not that it's not that Buckley's a bad coach because you have nothing to go on yet. But is it an experience calling? Yes. And is it his staff not probably jelly? I think so, too. If you watch these broadcasts. with, I the, think that's uh, the bigger part, by the way. But I, really quick, let me remind everybody, Francois was inactive the first week. I think that was connected to injury as well. Yeah, it, it, it was. But at the same time, you know, he still had this rotating door of quarterbacks where he would right. have a, a set. You know, there's three guys on the roster and QB two rotated. And he had planned on that one week. It was Dormady. The next week it was Francois, but Lynch has always been the Lynch pin done. I'm ching. You see what I did there throughout the entire season. He's always been the one that started. So, you know, that I think needs to be, that's the first thing you got to do is you got to reevaluate Lynch and say, look, we, we got to fix some things here. He's not a horrible quarterback, but he's not doing things that a good quarterback would do on a consistent basis. Absolutely not. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and listen, for those who, who, who have seen some of the work that BP has done, I don't know if you put it out on, on, on social media yet. I'm assuming you will, because it was a really good exchange you had with him in my opinion. But when you asked about Lynch's footwork, a lot of people are to your point, you and I mentioned this kind of off air talking about that, but I will give him this much credit while you take your lap for the Lynch pun. Um, he is at least bringing in, quitting flowers to try to do something to add a dynamic element and listen as a guy who was critical of flowers as a player not just because he played for usf um but that's a joke but um i didn't always think he was the best thrower that being said i also said the same of wait for it jordan tiamo and derrick king so at least at the very least at least at the very least really at the very least, what he's trying to achieve is finding that other option guy. And again, pincushion, espionage. No coach, even an inexperienced one, wouldn't necessarily be able to get out of this. I think Buckley's just in an unfortunate situation that enough people aren't talking about because, you know, they haven't gotten a hold of their life and started to listen to us talk about it yet. Yeah, that's true. But <laughs> you've, you've also heard T-Buck say that, you know, and even even Terrence Plummer, who listen, the dude's a gem, and T he's Plummer. going to go back to the league at some point. He's going to be playing there soon. Mm. I hope I get to catch him and and get him to do some high school football broadcasts with us before that happens. And and then oh, when yeah. it does happen, please, I want to come to a game, dude. I want to see it in person. Send me a ticket, dude, because it's been a I'll joy. Buy one, screw it. It's it's been a joy to watch him. It really has. But the thing the thing is is you know T Buck has talked about well, this is football. This is football. And you've been in the trenches, you know that there comes a point where you stop looking at your poor, unfortunate, unfortunate circumstances and grab it by the horns and get the sledding and turn out some results. Terrell said that today in, in media availability. He said, you just got to go out and produce. You, you just got to go out and do and just play football. You know, he's and not, he's and, not the only one to have heard said it, right? We've yeah, heard we've, other places. I heard it other places in the locker room. I'm pretty sure we're going to hear it tomorrow with Coach Ford. You're right. Yeah, it's it's it comes down to playing football. So he understands it intrinsically as a former player and an assistant coach. 
that it, it's just about making plays. You know, so circumstances be damned at this point, you've got to you've got to produce results. And he's right about that. But to that end, it's one of those things where you really start getting down to the nitpicky things. You know, you, you've already kind of looked at a systemic problem and say, you know what? I've got some guys with their heads up their behinds right now. I don't see the effort in the practice uh, sessions translating into games. I'm guys seeing, that don't run the play drawn up, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm not seeing discipline take place. I'm seeing undisciplined plays. I'm seeing undisciplined penalties. You know, so something is not connecting the dots are not moving from texas to orlando or texas to road game site so those are things that have got to be fixed and a lot of that stuff is what my what my dad would call that's poor coaching that's exactly what he would say because you look at examples like that look at look at the eventual downfall of jimbo fisher in, in florida state what's oh, yeah. the one thing that changed from the national championship season to the blowout in the rose bowl team discipline your quarterback is stealing crab legs and getting away with it. Who's also now about to have his NFL career end because he's going to get say, beat. Among other things that were alleged, we won't get into that. Uh, right, right. You know, jump, jumping on a table in the student union and shouting in a, an expletive popular on social media about her and something you grab. You know, it's it's just those are things that are indicative of a coach who doesn't have control of his team. Now, and, and I'm going to say this fervently. Because, you know, you're right. I'm a Seminole through and through. I've been watching. And I, I grew up watching T-Buck play college ball. But the one thing I want to ask him is not what Bobby Bowden would say to him if he had a chance to talk to him. What would Mickey Andrews, his defensive coordinator, say to him about being a head coach in a league like this? And how it's how are you going to turn this around, Terrell? How are you going to take this ragtag band of pirate football renegades and turn them into a bunch of men who have been professionals and need to be reminded of what that journey is like? I get the sensation that T-Buck is not dealing with a bad football team, athletically speaking. No, I think, I think he would tell you the same. I think he has told us the same. Yeah, he's and he said that. And, 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 and I'm beginning to believe that because I've seen the flashes of greatness. What he's dealing with is buy-in. He has not gotten this this group of te- uh, players, and, and and maybe there's a similar problem in Vegas for all we know, because you get similar results. But from and the Orlando disarray, right? And and from the Orlando perspective, which we have more direct access to and can see it, right? One of the things that that Terrell's dealing with right now as a head coach is that I don't think he has buy-in. I don't think he has the players bound together under the cause of. You know, listen, expletive, this is your expletive job. And if you don't expletive your way into playing some expletive football, you're going to get the expletive out of here. And that's exactly how a head coach would say all of us will be forced expletive out of here. Right. You know, because, you know, and and he said this before, and and I think Tony Carter has said the same thing too. even Robert Ford has said this, all of the coordinator, all the head coaches and and his immediate assistants have all said this. The one thing that the Orlando Guardians have not recognized yet is you need to show up to work and you guys aren't taking this as seriously as, as you, as you think you are now. I've I've heard heard similar rumblings in the locker room. Yeah. I've, I've, I, and I would love to have been a fly on the wall during his honesty Sunday meeting that he had with the players. This was (laughs) the players and coaches meeting. They said they had honesty Sunday. And I hope that that's one thing that came up this week is bro. Are you in or are you out? Because if you're out the doors that way, do not let it hit you on the, butt pad on the way out but if you're in you need to dig your heels in 
and and make some changes. One of the things I like about watching the coaches that I've seen recently is taking a ragtag group of individuals and getting them to buy in. Mike Norvell's doing it right now. Yes. He's taken a ragtag group of people that were shafted by Fisher and later pasted by Taggart, and now he's turning that group into a, a, a group of people that have bought in to what's going on. He's getting power five transfers from bigger schools that have come in and go, you know what? I want to play football here. I want to follow this man's lead. So my challenge to Terrell Buckley, if he's going to listen to it or accept it is this, what do you got to do to model the behaviors of other successful teams in other areas would be they college or, or professional level. What do you got to do to model what they're doing as a culture? Because what you've got to do with this group of kids and, and, and they're actually, some of them are acting like kids right now is get them to buy into the notion that, bro, you're player 54. If you want to forever be player 54, that's on you. But if you want to be player 53 one day, you need to get your heels dug in, hit the trenches, and let's get to work. Because you know what? In the XFL, it's okay if you're 54. But if you're not careful, you're going to be 55. You're going to be 60. Yeah, that's not where you want to be. Right. And, and, and I'll say this much, too. To your credit, the reason why I think what you're saying is also attainable, attainable, sorry, it's not like there aren't players on that squad with buy-in, right? We talked about T. Plum. Of course, uh, 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 Cordy Latimer is, is definitely a guy at tight end. By the way, the other tight end, BP, had a big catch last week, Jalen Smith. And then, oh, by the way, a week and a half ago, this dude's not on the roster, gets a touchdown in his first home game as the other tight end, who is second on the depth chart, by the way, behind Latimer, because Latimer's just a really good player. But Jalen Smith is another guy who showed people, look, this is what buy-in looks like. So that the, there is some there there. There are examples this can be done and achievable. And, and I think, honestly, I, I'll put it this way. If Flowers is half of what we're hearing, from the uh, coach's calls last week, which, you know, I have my own doubts scouting him. But then again, Geno Smith is a thing that happened. So I have to be careful commenting based on old analysis. But the punchline is this. There is there there, and it doesn't hinge on Quentin Flowers. I feel like if guys take the examples of the Jalen Smiths and the others and, and the other tackles uh, who they recently acquired through trades and such, and things really happen, I think there's some there there, especially against a Vegas team. And listen, the scuttlebutt I heard in the locker room is that Vegas is this opportunity. Now, I'm not going to go crazy and say, oh, look, you beat Vegas, run the table. Whoo! I know there's craziness out there like that. But nonetheless, it does start. It starts with one, right? Now I'm quoting Lincoln Park. But um, to get your rocker action in there, BP, we're an hour 20 in, man. How, how, how do you want to put a bow on it? Well, I, I'll say this. If you're still on the fence about the XFL, um, I invite you to jump off of it and get into the pool with us because it's, nice it's, an, ex- it's, it's an excellent opportunity. Uh, and, and go to a game. Seriously, go to a game. The television broadcast is great. Go to a game. And see it live, because when you take away the trimmings and the trappings of the fanciness that the ESPN broadcast provides you, you have an opportunity to see football in in, in a pure form. I've always been of the opinion that the XFL has been a hybrid game, a college and pro. So you're right down the middle of that. You've got guys that are fighting for roster spots or, or recognition. And maybe there's going to be some guys that stay a, a year, two, three, maybe in the league. And, and become XFL mainstays. And I think that's okay, too, because it's still professional ball. But right. go to a game. Watch it in person. Bring a friend. Enjoy yourself. You know, wherever you are watching this in, in the world, you know, if you got a team nearby, 
go see it in person. It really is a football experience. They are working their best to make it a, a rounded experience. And I, I tell you this, that the football will get a little bit better once they've got a, a feel for what a complete season is like. And from there, you know, the sky's the limit, but do go to a game and, and don't, don't sell across the board. Don't sell spring football short. You know, it really has a, a place in, in our, our football landscape. I, I agree with the rock on this one. We need to grow football. You know, USFL can take its shots all at once about being quote real football. But listen, I've watched the XFL. I watched the USFL last year and I will watch the USFL this year. Why? Because I'm interested in, in football and I want to watch it go through its paces. And one of these days you're going to have a, a CBS broadcast that's going to talk about guys that have drawn from this league and it only benefits the NFL in the long run. As so they did the AAF in the short time that it was alive, by the yeah. way. So don't, so, you know, I, I pull out my sign again, but uh, you know, don't, don't hate me for saying that, you know, I, 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 I want that to succeed. I think it should succeed and football as a whole gets better. And speaking as a guy who covers high school ball, I did not see, but one player on the team that I directly cover um, commit to a power five school, not just a D one school, a power five school. That kid is going to be an amazing running back, but, there are other kids out there who probably need that extra step that might go to a smaller school, but won't be NFL talent yet, but they need that support. Where are you going to put them? You're just going to throw them to the side? No. So spring football is the next logical step to provide that development that these guys need to make it to the top one day. Or if this is the top, they're going to have a good place to hang their hat and finish their football career. Listen, here's what I know, and I'm uh, put your sign up for me in my honor here. If there are guys that sit through the RB-Navy game and try to crap on spring football, you're doing it wrong. Anyways, of course, BP, that's right. BP, tell the world where you can be found, my guy. From the shores of the St. John's every Monday through Friday on OldSchool101.com, courtesy of A7BN Sports, doing the sports wrap on Captain & Company in the morning throughout the springtime you can find me hanging out with my friends at florida sports broadcasting doing some spring and winter sports and during the football season every year you can watch our live broadcast every game that's there on floridasportsbroadcasting.com or you can subscribe to our youtube channel you can also find our social media with a7bn sports at a7bn sports on your Instagrams and Facebook.com forward slash a7bn sports so beautiful hearing somebody pimp that instagram Thing, a thing a long overdue, BP. Thank you very much for that. And of course, by the way, occasional special contributor representing the Kansas City Chiefs on the Student of the Game podcast. I am Kyle Nash, the Student of the Game. You'll find me on Twitter at the SOTG. Find me on Instagram as the same, the SOTG, oft tagging not only A7BN Sports, but the Three Point Conversion, where you can find my weekly writings and musings of the XFL and the week that was. But by the way, hey, listen, UCF finding life in the postseason. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. That's right. The NIT is a thing for the UCF Knights, and I will be busy starting tomorrow heading over to Edition Financial Arena to talk with Coach Johnny Dawkins and the guys before they head off to Charleston to battle in the NIT. They'll be against playing against, oddly enough, the University of Florida BP, as that would turn out. So uh, that'll be happening. I'll be covering that Wednesday Um I might try to do an episode while I'm, I don't know. I'm supposed to meet up with Mark Mancini Wednesday night, and then this came up, and it's a whole kerfluffle. That's not your problem. Just know it's a thing I'm covering with the black and gold banner. And, of course, my work with the aforementioned Captain Company in the morning and A7 
BN Sports. A good time all the way around. An honor, joy, and privilege. Thank you to BP for coming in to talk some XFL, some more. This is week two of local XFL talk. First, Matt Merchel from the Orlando Sentinel. Now you're jumping in. It's getting to be a thing. This is interesting. I don't know. I might have to keep this up. But at any rate, an honor, joy, and privilege. But until next time, everybody, and I got to find it because I was not ready to have to pull this, <laughs> class dismissed.